I thought I'd ask Scott about really the temperature of the new administration, you know, and what we're starting to see out of that administration as they've been in office going on 10 months now. Uh, we're starting to see uh, their agenda take shape in our industry. So, Scott, you know, real high level, and we'll, we'll dig into some of these areas throughout this discussion, but at a real high level, uh, what's the, the initial changes or the initial, you know, uh, changing of, of, of the tide that we're seeing right now out of the administration? Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the time, number one. And for those listening, appreciate your business. So we're, we're thankful for it and, and appreciate your time here today. So we have certainly already seen a shift in a number of agencies, Al, as you noted, um, you know, the CFPB being one, the primary regulator for a number of institutions in the industry. And, and what the CFPB does isn't just important for the entities that they regulate, but the state regulators follow very closely behind in most cases what the CFPB does when they put an initiative in or they put a test in or they put an audit rule in, a lot of the state examiners will follow those same protocols within a couple of quarters. So even if you're regulated by a state entity, it's, it's good to follow what the CFPB does. And they're certainly focused in you know, this year and going forward more around fair lending than they have been in the past. Um, you'll hear that initiative coming out of the White House as well as Congress on, on who lenders are lending to, who they're not lending to, um, are the terms equal? Um, and so it's important to consider, you know, those factors in what you do, the programs you offer, are they offered, you know, breadth and depth through all customers that may apply, or do you only have them in specific geographies? And then how you price. Do you have uh, the potential where you may price loans differently um, against prohibited reasons, um, prohibited bases? Uh, so, you know, the CFPB will test lenders against that, and they're testing harder and more often than they have in the past. Uh, they're reaching out more often to lenders to talk through, how do you do this? Why do you do it? Um, it may not be a full-blown exam, it may just be an inquiry. And those are things that the Bureau under the prior administration was not doing. And so it's just important to keep that in mind, uh, that, that it's about fair play. It's about level playing field, equal playing field for consumers as well as lenders. And, and we expect more uh, inquiries, more supervision. And, uh, you know, with that probably comes more enforcement. Um, you know, tagging onto that, the FHFA, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, uh, FHA, uh, the managers of the government loans, they're also seeing changes in leadership, uh, new directors or new secretaries under their directors. And, you know, their focus will be um, Affordable lending, they've already put it out there. In addition to fair lending, affordable lending. Uh, First-time home buyers, uh, programs, you know, less around investment properties, second homes on the conventional side, more around first-time home buyers, um, low to moderate income, uh, you know, creating more initiatives. The, the prior administration at the FHFA who governs what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do, uh, that group under Dr. Calabria, who was the director at the time, was about how do we release um, Fannie and Freddie and make them private. So what can we do to de-risk them so that private shareholders will want to invest in Fannie and Freddie? And that was, so he was moving away from putting more risk in their portfolio to try to get them released from government control. This new administration probably wants to keep them under government control because they want to use them as a hammer on affordable lending to get more affordable products out there, um, to get more people of protected classes and get the, the, the disparity in home ownership rate across different races, 
try to equalize those, uh, use those programs, both FHA, conventional programs, certainly USDA and VA as well in those programs, that they'll probably, uh, you'll see some changes coming on those programs for that reason. So definitely a change, changing of tides, a changing of the guards, if you will, uh, kind of reminds me of, of some of the things that we expected to go back you know, as the CFPB got created initially and started, we started hearing about what, what the purpose was and really the protector, you know, to protect the, the homeowner, com- protect the consumer. Uh, you hear a lot out of that of what you, you just summarized. You know, what, what we see on the production front in the street right now is, is some, some good with, with this message of, you know, the, the watchdog coming back, right? There has been a lot of benefit as far as the product expansion as you just mentioned, into you know affordable homeownership, and it's it's kind of going back to uh, pre-COVID times. So uh, again, we'll dr- drill down on a couple of these. We'll uh, you know, as as we move on, uh, I want to encourage any questions that you might have uh, relative to the topic you know that Scott's that Scott's addressing at that time. We'll certainly spend some time at the end if we have any questions. But to give you guys an interactive as as interactive session as we can. You know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on the chat box and, and uh, try to pose those questions. So Holly, over to you. Yeah, so my question, Scott, is about appraisals because we've seen in the last few months a backlog in appraisals, not just with Fairway, but with all lenders all across the country, um, extreme turn times. Do you feel like there are there's any help coming from the agencies as far as expanded expanding property inspection waivers, 2055s, AVMs? Yeah, uh, we, we've certainly felt that industry-wide, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that the GSEs are aware of it. Um, certainly the other government agencies are, are as well. Uh, we've had conversations with VA about their panel, uh, quite often about their panel size and how they manage their panel. Um, and so it, it is uh, front of mind for them, uh, the things they're contemplating for it. I think our combination, I don't think AVMs, other than how they apply AVMs to their inspection waivers, to their appraisal waivers, excuse me. Uh, I think that's where they'll, they'll continue to, to look at their AVM products for that. But an AVM in lieu of an appraisal, I don't think they're moving there. Um, there was a pilot program uh, in place about two years ago, uh, Value Verify, um, that was a, a bifurcated appraisal product that had an inspection done separately from the appraised value. So they would, you could have a property inspector go in, do the measurements, do the visit to the property, and an appraiser could calculate the value based on that data that came in. And so you could have two different people doing it. That was a pilot. Um, Dr. Calabria at the FHFA uh, put a halt to that pilot um, probably a year and a half ago. I do expect they will lift that again. Um, there was a phase one to that pilot. Phase two was that once that inspection was done, there may not, it may have an automated value done behind it, not have a second appraiser put a value on it. Um, and that would have been quite a large benefit to removing some of that work from appraisers. Um, but I, I, I think the, the biggest change coming is at the transaction level. The fewer refinances that are done with interest rates rising, you know, the fewer times appraisers are going into home to do refinances, the more they're available to do purchases and that's the shift we're seeing. You know, we're, we're seeing that you know, nationwide is that fewer appraisals for refinances are needed. And so that appraisers are, are opening up their ability to do more purchases. 
the the pilot that you mentioned that was uh, a hold was put on it, but you think that might be lifted. Do you have any idea when you think that might occur? Unfortunately, I don't. I think the 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 director um, of the FHFA, Sandra Thompson, who's the acting director, I think it'll probably take um, Senate confirmation. She, she would need to be nominated, number one, by the president, and then final Senate confirmation before she does any large things like that. Um, you know, she she unwound a couple of things around the refinance um, fee, around that increase of 50 basis points for refinances. She unwound the uh, investment property and second home caps uh, and the layered risk caps that the GSEs had. She did those relatively quickly. I think some some longer term, larger projects will require probably formal confirmation before she'll put those into place. And we're not anticipating that um, until early next year, probably first quarter. Oh, wow. Okay. Good to know. Al, you got the next one? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go off script here. As I, as I listened to that question and, and again, talked in just the, the summary that you shared at the very beginning, um, how much do you think that the regulators listen to the mortgagees right now? Because they seem it seems to be that as we encounter a problem, um, there are responses to it. Um, and, and so does does the industry have the ear of, of you know, the, the, the administration right now? And if so, you know, are, are you seeing the, 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 these changes that you're, we're talking about right now, are, are these generally you know, positive changes that they're trying to solution for what, what the industry is communicating to them? Uh, In other I words, think, do, they, do they get it? Do they get it, Scott? Do, do they hear us? Do they get it? And are they providing relief for what you feel like the industry is going through? I think only word aligns with what they want to have happen, where our, where our goals align, they'll, they'll listen. But where our goals, you know, where, where we want to take on, you know, for example, if we want to do grow lending that's non-affordable, if we want to grow lending in higher net worth, if we want to grow jumbo, it, it, that's not aligning with what they want to do, they would have a closed ear to that at this point. Um, you know, if... I'll give you an example. If high balance limits weren't statutorily required right now, high balance limits would be far lower than they are um, because it doesn't align with their what they want to do. But they'd have to write a law to reverse what's out there, not just a regulate, not just a a, a rule, um, an underwriting guideline, but actually change the law. So uh, I think there are areas where we are aligned and wanting to get more affordable loans done. That's where they'll listen in what we need. You know, Ginny May has an open ear. Um, you know, Ginny May is looking at different, um, you know, if you're a, a pooling nerd and how Ginny May handles, you know, securities, they are looking at special securities for certain borrowers, for certain first-time home buyer borrowers. Um, you know, they're looking at what the secondary market looks like for those securities, you know, whether it's 40-year amortization uh, for FHA and VA loans, USDA loans, or, you know, different down payment structures. Uh, they're looking at, you know, special purpose pooling for those loans. Uh, you know, when those hit the street, we don't know at this point, but th those are things they're looking at. You know, I, the reason I asked that is, again, I, just talking about these changes, you know, we're, we're, we as an industry do have lobbying groups, you know, and, and we've seen the MBA advocacy groups and even NAM, uh, you know, the NAM advocacy groups really have a voice or seem to have a voice, you know, and, and, some of the things that we saw going to co during the COVID timeframe, you know, quickly be repealed as the new administration came in. You know, that, that 
that seemed a little positive on the forefront. You know, the question is, you know, what's going back to you is, you know, what's really the agenda, right? So right, and and I and I think you saw that where where the goals aligned, they were quick to move, and so you know, Dr. Calabria had goals to release and recap, so de-risk what they were doing. And so it, it took him not being in power anymore and really, you know, a change in the, in the federal administration uh, as well for them to change what they, what was important to what the GSEs did. What was the GSE mission? Not release and recap, but stay in, under conservatorship more longer term. Uh, I think you'll also see that in the qualified mortgage rules that's unfortunately still in debate. We have two active qualified mortgage rules right now. And, um, when that ultimately gets finalized, I think the new director at the CFPB will have a say in, in what where that ultimately lands and whether there is a GSE, you know, patch or carve out or whatever they want to call it. We've got a All question. Right, let me... Go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. We've got a question. We got a question in the chat from Jay. Notice many lenders have moved away from requiring tax transcripts for self-employed borrowers. What's Fairway's current take on this trend? And are there any plans to possibly make this change as well? Yeah, um, it, it's something we're evaluating. Um, you know, the, the, the IRS is a painful partner. They're as painful a partner as there is in the industry. Uh, but they hold all the cards and the data you want. There's no other place to get that data than them. Uh, there's no other vendor to go through. Uh, they've taken away, um, you know, a, a lot of the middle ground. It's it's going through them, their rules, you know, now their form. Also, now their form is going to have to be typed versus handwritten on. You know, they're, they're, set, they're making it harder. And I think lenders like the data. I know Fairway likes the data we can get from those, you know, whether it's the transcripts, the record of account statement, you know, any past due taxes, it's all how hard is the lift to get the data. And so, yes, we are looking at, is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, we're, we're looking at that actively. And is there a different way to manage that risk? Um, you know, we don't anticipate the IRS becoming easier to deal with. Um, you know, but we're, we're looking at what classes of borrowers present the highest risk. Those that um, file multiple tax returns, those that have different business structures, those that self-file versus use a third party, all of those things will likely come into play to a lender's policy, including what Fairway does. And, and all of that is under evaluation right now. Thank you. And thanks, Jay, for the question. Al, did you have one? Or you want me to uh, Yeah, just, just kind of no, bringing us back to, to kind of our script, uh, our, our our agenda for, for this call, things we definitely want to cover with you and share with, with the group that, that will be listening to this podcast either live or later. Um, you know, so, so another change that, that we're seeing right now is, is the lift of this um, foreclosure moratorium. You know, as we've been in COVID, uh, we, we, we know that there were not foreclosures. And, you know, to, from your perspective, things that you're discussing with Fannie Mae, what's the impact on the inventory as this, this moratorium is lifted and we start to go, you know, just see that, that activity pick back up? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that, that we're looking at, um, you know, with the CARES Act, uh, the moratoriums uh, across multiple agencies. You know, there, there's different rules across different agencies right now um, where, the, where the federal government or the president has the ability under executive order to dictate certain things or 
you know, the FHA secretary has dictated certain things specific to FHA loans and how they're managed from a servicing standpoint. Um, you know, it, we anticipate it being extremely difficult to manage foreclosures under the rules they will put in place for people that are exiting these forbearances. And no lender wants to foreclose. It's not, it's not a business any lender wants to be in. And the rules they're going to put in place, even for people that really can't afford coming out of this, uh, out of their, whatever circumstances they have, it's going to be very difficult uh, to force a foreclosure. Um, and so I don't, anything that happens, I think will have a very muted impact on supply. I don't think there'll be a, a lump sum of supply hitting the market because everybody gets foreclosed on at the same time. Uh, that, that won't happen. All right, I'm going to switch gears unless you've got a follow-up, Al. Nope. nope. Okay. Go ahead. So agency policy, credit policies, and program changes. You touched on first-time home buyers, low-to-mod income borrowers a little bit. Um, what do you feel like we can expect? Tightening of credit policy, loosening of credit policy? We went through a, a wave of tightening and loosening last year that I don't think any of us really want to revisit again this year. But what should our customers, our broker LOs, focus on and what should they look for in the coming, the rest of Q4 in 2022? Yeah, I think so. What you've seen, you know, from Fannie Mae has been more public than what Freddie Mac has done some things, but I'll, I'll just speak to what Fannie Mae did, you know, relative to the averaging of credit scores um, in addition to the, the mid score model. Uh, they're also looking at an average. If you've got multiple borrowers on the transaction, they'll look at an average as well as the lowest middle score and see if there's a benefit to the borrower to use that average. I think you'll continue to see things like that happen. Uh, Freddie Mac is doing some things behind the scene in, in I think, loosening their own credit tolerances uh, in Loan Product Advisor. Um, you know, Fannie Mae also announced, you know, borrowers that may have limited credit using a rental history to try to supplement their credit history in DU. Uh, and, and you use that through uh, an asset uh, validation service where you'll get 12 months of bank statements if they, if they make a rent payment more than $300 a month. And that's consistently there every month. That will boost um, the risk value of that loan. And I think you'll continue to see small things like that. Um, little tweaks they make, you know, maybe the combination of lower credit score, higher LTV, higher DTI, low reserves, those first-time home buyer typical risk modeling. Um, you know, how I look at it is the GSEs were shifting, were trying to shift business in the last year and a half to FHA. A lot of the risky business, the higher DTI, um, they were trying to push that and, and give you fewer approved eligible recommendations. You're probably seeing a lot more approved ineligible recommendations or refer eligible recommendations than you were a year ago or two years ago. That was, I think, the GSEs actively trying to push some of those higher risk, layered risk loans, where there's a combination of lower FICO, higher LTV, lower reserves, um, to FHA. I think they're now going to try to recapture some of that, especially where they meet, you know, moderate or low to moderate income standards for the market. And they'll do that via little tweaks. I don't think you'll see, hey, we'll do 97 for this borrower LTV. And for this other borrower, we'll do 100. I don't think you'll see large, you know, they're not, we don't anticipate, anticipate them going back to the Flex 100 program. Many of you remember that program. We don't anticipate them going that far, um, but they'll make smaller tweaks in their model. 
and, and so it is more of a loosening. They're in a loosening pendulum swing right now, whereas the previous you know, 12 to 15 months, they were in a tightening swing. Well, I know that's good news for a lot of folks. <laughs> um, we do have one question before I go back to you, Al, in the chat from Marianne. Do you see FHA making changes to their MIP for life to bring more to bring in more loans to compete with conventional loans? Yeah, so I, I know the Biden administration has broached MIP, certainly with the new uh, HUD secretary, across annual, across um, the upfront. You know, all, it, they're looking at all of it, I know, right now. Um, I think it will be difficult given the economics of the FHA risk fund, where it currently sits, how much risk they have set aside, and where they want they want to put more risk in that portfolio. I know going forward, they want to do riskier FHA loans in that portfolio. Uh, they want to push lenders to do more of the product, you know, the 203B, the 234C, as many of the FHA products as you can get into, the 184 program, they want you doing all of their program. Ginny May certainly pushes it. Uh, and so if they're going to put more risk in there, I don't think they can combine that with lowering the MIP. Um, maybe they can put a different scale on that it's not life of loan as it is for many transactions. I know that's definitely something they're looking at. Um, but I don't have a great feel right now as to where they land on that. If I had to guess, I think they will change upfront before they change annual. I think there's another question on CRA lending. Um, oh. Yeah, from Carol. So uh, it, it's absolutely something we're looking at. You know, Fairway as a, certainly the, the regulators I spoke to, um, you know, we know them well and we're on their radar because of the volume we do. And so our ability as a non-bank, as a non-depository, you know, our ability to do programs that, um, meet fair lending targets. Um, you know, we, we, we are not governed by CRA except in two or three states at this point, Illinois, Massachusetts, I think another has passed a CRA law for non-banks. But um, where those programs help us with our regulators, we're absolutely looking to do it. We've just got to make sure there are secondary markets, there's liquidity for those programs. It's not in, it's not in our target to, to originate for a portfolio. Um, it, that's, that's not, you know, that's not where our, uh, our hammer is. That's not what we're best at, but certainly it's something we are looking at, uh, because we know it's important to regulators. And if we can get really good at it, you'll see those programs rolled, uh, broadly. So, uh, you know, in line with what we're talking about right now, you know, the news has not yet officially been released, but. Uh, this this loosening of the credit box, um, where's Fairway headed in the, in the near future, Scott, relative to our FHA minimum credit scores? Yeah, um, so uh, we're reducing our, we'll be re shortly reducing our credit score floor uh, to 580 for both, um, for non-rental programs, non-renovation programs, um, I believe that's effective next week. You'll likely see something on that. Um, we're, you know, we'll have a couple of, you know, carve outs in there. Again, non-reno, 
Uh, we won't manually underwrite transactions or manually downgrade transactions in that 580 to 599. Um, so we'll be looking for total scorecard approvals. Um, but I, I think that's that's consistent with where uh, the market is going because of you know the CARES Act forbearances, because of you know where the employment numbers are going. Um, you know, just the, the number of jobs that are out there. If you had a concern about, you know, a borrower that may have had multiple jobs in the last year, two years, their ability to get hired at a certain income level out there is almost um, guaranteed. They can find a job walking away from one job to another one almost immediately if they choose to. So uh, some of those concerns that, that lenders like Fairway had in the past about those transactions you're always watching, you know, what your risk tolerance is, but, you know, we, we feel more comfortable with that uh, than we have in the past. I think we sat at, you know, pre COVID, we sat at 600 as a credit score floor for a number of years. And I think we're just in a different time right now. Um, and we'll always watch the performance. We'll watch how loans in aggregate perform and we'll watch, you know, the individual, um, you know, customer performance data and see, you know, what our, what our share is. So that that is definitely a positive change for the, you know the production front, um, as I know we've often been asked about uh, going down to 580. You know we've always entertained exceptions, manual underwrites. You know and I think our our credit risk team has always done a fantastic job of entertaining make sense loans. You and I have had the conversation. Uh, the difference between a 580 credit score and a 620 credit score, you know, very very small difference from time to time. You know you got to look right. at other factors. So right. uh, that's an exciting update. Uh, let me talk about one other exciting update that, that you know, we saw go into effect last week. Um, but I'd like you to talk about you know, why, why we were able to go up to 625 before the announcement came out. And, and you know, ultimately, uh, I heard you describe, describe this like as a bridge loan in concept, you know, in theory, to, to get to uh, the actual FHFA 2022 loan loan limits. So talk talk to this group a little bit about you know how we ended up at 625 and now we've you know, gone a little step further and released it, relaxed it to uh, as long as we can obtain MI, we can go above 80%. So just walk us right. through that 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 process over the last week week and a half. Yeah, absolutely. So you know it, it starts with just what the standard protocol is. And so the, the standard process is the FHFA announces their conventional loan limits for the next year. They announce it around Thanksgiving. Uh, and it's based on the prior four quarters of house price index change. So the end of Q3, so for this year, at the end of Q3 2020 to the end of Q3 2021, that change in house price index dictates under law what the 2022 um, conventional loan, loan limits will be. And so as you look at that law, uh, it's, it's very prescribed, it's, it's data-based, there's no choice that goes into what that number is. Um, uh, and so we had a pretty good feel based on the end of Q2, you know, where we sat with house price, house price index change. As we moved through Q3, um, you know, we didn't see it getting worse. So we think we know where that number is going to land. And I think other lenders kind of felt the same comfort. I think why this year is different is because you look at last year, and that number changed 7%. So the 2020 limit to the 2021 limit was a 7% change. I think lenders are anticipating a much larger change this year, a really unique year. Um, it could be around 20%. And so 
you know, lenders thought, how do I get, how do I get a bridge to that Thanksgiving week announcement that carries me into January? Um, and do I have the, do I have the operational capacity to take those loans in and hold them? Because you still can't deliver those loans until next year to the GSEs. You still have to hold them until January 1st. So do you have the operational capabilities to hold them is a question that lenders have to answer. And how many of them am I going to do? Uh, and so those things are things we evaluated. You know, many lenders I don't think went to that full, you know, 20%. If you're anticipating where that 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 a 20% increase would put the new loan limit at about 650 um, next year. And so you you saw a lot of lenders come up at 625. So I think they cushioned it down to you know 14, 15% when they think it may be 20. Uh, and so you know after Thanksgiving we see that announcement it'll go back to standard protocols. We'll announce, hey, here, here are the actual 2022s and we'll update, we'll change um, like we do every year. Um, but we were able to do it earlier just because of the scope of the number, how big the change is. Do you wanna take the questions in the chat box, Al? Uh, we, we've got one from Marianne. Uh, is occupancy still a big concern for fraud? Uh, yeah, I mean, a big, I mean, that's all relative. It's a concern. Um, reverse occupancy remains a concern. You know, people calling their property a investment property when it's not, um, because they've got a large down payment. Um, you know, I think that's, those things still remain a concern, but it's, it's not anywhere near the scale of concern of income fraud and asset fraud. Those are the, the two largest um, consistently. Uh, and the second question is from John. Have you heard anything about the FHA loan limits for 2022? Yeah, that's, that, that's just a calculation off the FHA. It's, it's a calculation off the conventional loan limits. Um, you know, there is some, some movement for um, higher cost markets in there, but the differences with those is uh, you, you can't get case number off those new loan limits until January. So you're not able to advance that uh, and do them early. All right, and then I want to end. Unless Al, you, you, I think you want to. You have a few things that the you want to close with. But inventory levels. So it, a lot, a lot of times in the last twelve months, it's been crazy. Multiple bids, low inventory. Houses were selling within hours <laughs> of going of going uh, on the market. What is what is your feel for the inventory levels going into twenty twenty two? Yeah, we've seen inventories year over year get better. So August of last year to August of this year, uh, the supply of homes is is significantly better, um, but still very constrained. You know, vi multiple offers, all of that still applies. Um, you know, the the government has you know very little you know tools in their tool belt to manage supply, and so everything you're hearing coming out of the administration is we're going to help more people buy homes, but there is no more supply of homes. So what it's going to do is it's going to further constrain supply. As you hear talk of down payment assistance, um, you know, whether it's formal assistance or it's a tax break, um, that puts more buyers into the market for the same uh, amount of homes. Uh, Al mentioned that, you know, things that happened, you know, the, during the last administration where we saw you know, kind of this pendulum swing uh, to affordable. At that time, there was not the supply concern we have now. 
there was not the supply issues we have now when those things took place. Right now, it, it, and I think that's why you will see, you know, whether it's the Waters Bill, Maxine Waters Bill, that is straight down payment assistance. Um, there's going to be a lot of debate around that because at that time there weren't Wall Street firms, hedge funds out buying every property they could find as rental. You know, that, that, that didn't exist. And um, I think there'll be a lot of concern around will that further drive values up, further competition. Um, I think what FHA, uh, you know, VA certainly and USDA need to focus on with affordable is finding a way for sellers to accept offers that have those financing conditions. Is there a benefit to the seller to sell to somebody that's using those programs? It's got to be a benefit to the seller to either put their home on the market or provide their home to somebody like that. That's where the benefit needs to lie, in my opinion, to get supply to move, is you've got to incent the seller. Uh, otherwise, they're going to look for that cash offer, or they're going to bump people really quickly when there's an appraisal issue. If there's nothing in the seller's pocket, and so if the government wants to subsidize something, that's what I'd look to. Interesting perspective. Uh, let's go to the chat box real quick. We've got one more question from Lori, and it's going back to this increase to 625, I believe. So it looks like the question was at 548.250, we had an approved eligible that had a property inspection waiver. As we bump that loan up to 625 now, we get an ineligible lose the property inspection waiver. Um, uh, have you experienced this yet, Scott? Um, yeah. how, how are we going to react to that? Get an appraisal. Law of unintended consequences. You do something good, there's something that comes, be comes behind it that's bad. There's no doubt about it. So the GSEs um, will update their automated underwriting systems only after the formal FHA, FHFA announcement. So that'll happen the first week of December. Until then, this is what happens. Until then, it's, it's the downside of what we did, of what lenders are doing. Um, but there's no way to know when we go to deliver that loan you know, if somebody's asking me, can you accept that waiver? I wouldn't know because I've got to rerun that loan after December 10th in the AUS, a month and a half after you've closed it, I've got to rerun it. And will I get the waiver back? That's not a risk I can take on. Makes sense. Um, I got one other topic that I, that I want to talk to with the group about, but uh, before we do that, just one more encouragement. If you've got any questions, um, the chat box is open. Uh, we'll address those before we uh, move to the last point and, and wrap this discussion up. Unless, Holly, you have any other questions, any other areas? No, I'm, I'm good. All my questions are answered. So any others, put them in the chat box. Thank you to all of you that have that have been interactive with us today. Um, Al, you. I, I would say never in my career. Uh, talking with credit and risk, have I walked away from a 30-minute discussion feeling so positive? Um, we've had a lot of wins, a lot of wins, uh, really to the production front, you know, and, and the things. Again, there's there's long-term consequences, there's short-term consequences. A lot of the short-term relief stuff that we're seeing right now is positive to the street. Um, and, and, you know, it's been fun, Scott, you know, just watching our team work. Uh, you talked a little bit about it, but, uh, you know, not everybody on this call knows or, or would know that you have regular communication with all the agencies and fairways, a player that they look to communicate with frequently for feedback, for discussions on what ifs. And, you know, a lot of this 
this these topics that we're talking about, industry topics, you had these discussions with our teams on the agencies on a regular basis, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're having conversations daily, absolutely, with, with all of those agencies. Um, for the GSC specifically, um, they have a, a few different steering committees that they have a very a small group of lenders. Uh, I sit on the Freddie Mac Client Advisory Board. Um, I have a team member that sits on both the Freddie and the Fannie Credit Advisory Board. So it's where they bounce their proposed changes off uh, lenders. And so we have team members that sit on those and, and talk through what they're thinking. Uh, the FHFA, again, who regulates Fannie and Freddie, they're getting a little more open under their new administration about what they're thinking, seeking feedback. Um, VA is still an outlier. You know, we have a, as good a relationship as you're going to have with VA, but um, you know, v, the, the administration at the VA—that's where I, that's where I struggle the most. But you know, they're focused on veteran health benefits. You know, ensuring all all, all areas of the GI Bill, ensuring the veterans are protected, uh, and housing is sometimes not the priority at the Veterans Administration at the highest level. So sometimes you, you lose people when you start talking about what's important with appraisals and they're thinking, I can't even get my hospital figured out. I'm not worried about an appraisal. Um, and so that's why they're behind on technology on how they manage things. Uh, FHA is catching up on technology. Um, and the, the USDA also, you know, the biggest problem with the USDA program is, in my opinion, is that no one's delegated. Everything alone has to go into the USDA uh, pre-close. They, they are looking at a delegated process, but that requires an upgrade to their technology that they don't have the budget for yet. So what they've been saying for years is they're going to start charging higher fees, putting that money in a bank account so that they can, you know, do their own technology and not need a budget requisition. But they haven't done that yet. Um, and, and until that happens, in my opinion, that program will lag behind. But the USDA GRH program is a fantastic program. If you're in a market where you're not doing a lot of that, I would say reach out to our account execs because you know our team is very good at them. Uh, we've got one last, well, I won't say last, we have one more question in the chat. Um, hang on, let me scroll back up to it. Any idea of how long the COVID underwriting overlays could last, specifically three months business bank statements for self-employed folks? Yeah, it's the most, it, it, it's a great question. And I, I, at the end of the day, I don't know. It's something we have pushed the GSEs for some certainty on. They've relaxed a lot of them. Um, you know, we've also asked them to bring back some of the appraisal flexibility that they used to have and then took away. Um, but the, the income one is one, their answer right now is they're not comfortable removing that one yet. Um, but they also haven't given us what's the benchmark that will make them comfortable enough? What, what has to happen with employment? What has to happen with uh, any, any factor they're looking at? Um, and and they're, not, they're being very uh, close to their vest on that one. Um, so at this point, there's no, I have no indication that that's happening in the short run. All right, Al. I don't see any more questions. Right. Uh, so if you want to wrap us up, yeah, so, so, well, last thing I wanted to talk about as we wrap this up, you know, just staying on this topic or this, this momentum of good news, uh, Fairway released today to our, uh, to our brokers and correspondent clients uh, a new feature within Driver, and that's the dual AUS uh, rollout, the dual AUS launch. Uh, so previously we had DU, 
uh, embedded into our portal uh, driver that you could go in and score a loan through DU. Uh, effective today, not only do you have LPA uh, available through through driver, uh, but you also have a new function, and that's the launch of a dual uh, AUS submission. You know, so, so we do have some training uh, program or training sessions scheduled for tomorrow and Friday. Um, that went out with the client announcements. Please be sure that you you uh, register for one of those training sessions because there are a couple new screens uh, attached to that client announcement that went out today. Also, was a quick reference guide. It's just a, a snapshot of these screens and walks you through. Um, you know what what you need to do to function. Uh, the initial feedback from a couple of users that have shared it with our team is very favorable. Uh, I love this function. Great great addition to your website. We are happy to hear that. Uh, we're very excited about you know the rollout of it and you know our 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 portal um, partner, the partner, the technology port partner was one of the pioneers with the dual AUS. So this is something that's not just just didn't surface recently. This is a long time coming, a big work effort for our technology team working with our technology partners. Yeah, but Scott, what's the impact to really to the street? You know, there's different impacts as we talk about dual AUS launch, but you know, what can our broker partners, uh, correspondent loan officer clients, what can they expect as, as we get into this dual AUS world? Yeah, I, I think the biggest benefit is, is to your ability to communicate to your clients the least amount of conditions possible and have your processing team process to the least amount of conditions possible. If you're agnostic about whether you have a Fannie or Freddie program based on price, well, how do I process to which one gives me an appraisal waiver, which one has the least uh, reserve requirement or the lesser income documentation requirement? And this gives you immediate visibility into that um, at initial submission and certainly ongoing. Um, I think that's the biggest win. So there you have it, a, a call full of wins uh, for our production front. Scott, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Again, uh, Mortgage Encyclopedia. Do you, want, all... do you want one more, Al? Do, do you want another win oh, before sure. you hang up? Yes. <laughs> no, no, let's stop. Let's stop. We're ahead. All right. Please so, do. What you got? So we've got, we've got 39. Is that 39 people on the call or 59? 59 people on the call. Um, so we talked a little about the boost we did uh, recently to 625 on the conventional one-unit properties. Um, we are we are going to be offering a similar boost on two to four unit properties uh, within the next uh, certainly I think by early next week. There's some operational things we need to put in place, but look for that coming on two to four unit properties as well for some higher loan limits um, in the coming days. That is really good. I just had a call yesterday where it was asked if we're when do we see this going to two to four units. So that is wonderful. Thank you, thank you. Lori says woohoo. Thank you, Scott. This is amazing. So this has been one of the should best we, calls. Should we hang on just a little bit longer? Maybe we get one more. Something uh. Out of them. <laughs> uh, it was yeah, a good definitely, call. Scott. Go ahead. Sorry, Holly. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah, Judy's saying thanks, Scott. So this is this is a huge win, and and I appreciate you and your role with Fairway because you you are production oriented. You want to find ways to make loans work, and you help us um, day in and day out with our underwriting team, our compliance team, credit policy. So thank you very much for that. And and now you can close us. Yeah, I just echo what what Holly said. Uh, just a, an amazing wealth of knowledge. Uh, all, all things credit, risk, underwriting do roll up to Scott. Scott's very active in, 
you know, in our day-to-day operations. Uh, Greg Reynolds uh, interacts with Scott regularly, um, you know, and we just we, we feel privileged any opportunity that we get to sit down and have discussions like this. Uh, end of the day, you know, what we're trying to do is provide value to the street. Um, we appreciate the relationships uh, that are the lifeline of our business, you know, and, and we see it as our purpose, you know, to make business, doing business with Fairway easy, arming you with great ed- education, information, technology, um, and it's not always easy, you know, and, and sometimes you go through periods like we did the last 18 months where boy, a lot of things were taken away, um, and and to have this run that we're seeing right now, pretty exciting, uh, just coming off NAM National, uh, there's an excitement in the air, you know, there's an excitement in the air, and and yes, the market in front of us is going to change, but uh, you know, there's there's a lot of positive changes with guidelines and products, and Fairway is going to continue to be a leader on on many fronts. You know, the least of which is arming you with education and, and you know sessions like these. So Scott, while there were 59 people uh, on on this live podcast, believe me, we're going to be pushing this. As as I echo what Holly said, this was one of the best sessions we've had very informational very practical and applica- applicable uh information that goes straight into the production front right now so thanks scott and uh we appreciate everybody's participation this afternoon have a great one thanks bye thanks, everybody